right. Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, um, emotional health, psychological health in men, women and society. First, it started with MAN, M-A-N, the acronym for Men Are Nuts. And we have a very special guest on the show for you today. Can you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm Matthew Bartolo. I'm a sex and relationship therapist. I'm a man. <laughs> I'm not. And I'm from Malta. <laughs> so you're from Malta. Can you tell the listeners yeah. where is Malta? Malta is a tiny island. When I say tiny, I mean from south to north. It's 27 kilometers long. Right. And it's in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's 100 miles south of Sicily. And that means that it's in a very strategic position when it comes to Africa and Europe discussions. And even way back um, when it comes to history and to especially naval um, trips, it was always somewhere that that the ship used to stop. So as a people, we are used to interacting and adapting to a lot of different generations and a lot of different cultures as well. Yeah. And you see this in our food. For example, our food is a mixture of Arabic, Italian, British food, because all these different countries colonized Malta yeah. at one point or the other. Right, okay. So it's quite a rich, varied yeah. so, culture. Yeah. So, um, did you say how many how many people live in there? It's a bit less than half a million. Half a million. So it is it is quite small then. So what's the climate like in Malta? It's mostly sunny. We have about three hundred days of blue skies and another thirty of cloudy skies and maybe another thirty of rain. So the, the, the climate is very similar to a desert, especially in the winter, in the summer. Sorry. Yeah. So for the listeners out there, what what's what's Malta famous for? Has it you know has it got has it had famous people? Is it is there food? What's what's Malta famous for? It's mostly this history that I was talking about, yeah. and also very popular with people. Um, as a tourist destination, as a holiday destination. Yeah. Because we throw some very good parties here and we have good food and very nice climate as well. So it's a very good spot for people to come and spend a couple of weeks um, chilling and drinking beer by the pool or by the beach. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, um, so it's obviously got a thriving, a thriving um, um, tourist industry. What's been happening since the um, the the virus, and what's happening in your you know in your country there? Well, well it, it's a bit sad because you drive past the hotels and all the hotels are closed down. Yeah. So you see that the windows are not being cleaned anymore. You know, you yeah. see this feeling of emptiness, of abandonment. Um, there are people who are suffering because of this, because obviously tourism is a very important economy for us yeah. Malta but we also base most of our income from gaming companies and uh, human resources pharmacological factories as well right so there were aspects of our economy which were affected negatively yeah 
and others which thrive because of this, like gaming companies. Yeah. So, in terms of the, this thing called lockdown, as I keep saying, what what's that been like? Um, you know, I'm supposed I'm 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 going to say I've got to I've got to say um, is lockdown in your country? Are they calling it lockdown? No, is it it's no, it's not like that. It's, it's suggested that we um, practice physical distance as much as possible. Yeah. Which is very different from social distance because yeah. when we talk about social distance, it's about secluding yourself. But when it comes to physical distance, it means that we're away from each other, but we still try and keep in contact as much as possible. Yeah. I must say that the authorities are dealing with it very well because they didn't have to implement lockdown yet. Um, vulnerable people who have certain um, diseases or health issues were asked to self-quarantine and they are abiding by those rules, yeah. especially there, you know, and, and Malta is used to um, being very close to each other. So when it yeah. comes to something like this, we tend to take care of each other especially of the elderly and of each other's mental health as well. We, we don't obey the rules. We're, we're, we're notorious. We're like the Italians, you know? We yeah. don't obey the rules. Yeah. So, you know, every weekend we hear how many people got fined for speeding and all this. But when it comes to health recommendations, then we tend to obey. Yeah. Because we want to live yeah. as long as possible. As long as possible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But anything else, I would have told you otherwise, you know? That's mm-hmm. People are not paying, people are not abiding by what we're being told. Yeah. But when it comes to health, we're pretty much. Yeah. And how, and you seem to, you, I mean, for the listeners out there, we're, we're on video, we're video based chat and I can see you smiling. And so, he, so I was going to ask you, how are you coping with, with the whole thing? Um, I've been through stages as a man. Um, I've always been like this, but when there's a crisis, my mind tends to slow down and focus and then I break down after yeah. and this happened to me this time as well so I, I run a, a company of about 30 people who offer different kinds of services but mostly related to helping people talking therapies so their mental health is very important because yeah. they're containing and supporting other people's mental yeah. health I have a company of child-minding as well, so when, when it struck, one of the companies, child-minding companies, stopped completely and to a halt. So, but the first, I would say, three weeks, I took lead and I was very much assertive and, and, and diligent about the different decisions that we made. Yeah. After the three weeks, then I broke down. It was very difficult because I realized that this is not going to be a one-month thing, yeah, and then yeah. we can recover. Yeah. And then panic struck. Uh, I used to work with clients. I still work with clients, but I could hear that people were losing their jobs. Um, so I know that it's going to affect the economy. I was seeing more people get infected by this. I was getting clients whose family members got affected. So it became much more real to me. Right. And that's when I had to take care of myself. You know, I, I, I tried to spend some time away from work, away from everyone, and try and recuperate. Yeah. 
I'm very lucky that even in my business and in my social life, I have very close people yeah. who take care of me a lot, you know? The kind of people who can see the difference between I'm fine and I'm fine, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And understand what I'm saying, I'm yeah, fine yeah. when I'm not. And I think now I'm back, I, I'm, I'm getting back up, you know? Because I think in the last couple of weeks, I had some serious discussions on way forwards and how this can affect us. And I always think of the worst case scenario. What's the worst case scenario? Can I handle that? If I can handle that, then it's going to be okay, you know? Yeah, definitely. And um, like you say, you, you, you know, you're, you're smiling. And so there's obviously, um, you, you, like you said, you've had a, you've had your moment and now you're kind of handling what's whatever's been thrown at you. So let's talk about what you do and what was your, what's been your... I mean, we can talk about your journey and what you do. You're talking about being a, um, a sex therapist and relationship. Let's talk about what you, how, how have you managed to get to that position or you um, taking that on? Love and relationships were always of interest to me. Yeah. You know, since I was a younger man, I was always intrigued how this woman chooses this partner and not the other, and how this man cheats on this woman but not the other, you know? From a very young age, I remember being 15 years old and hanging out at this band club, and I used to sit on this bench in the middle of this um, piazzetta square, and all my friends used to come to me, you know, to discuss things and to ask for advice, advice, share, questions or, or and I always felt that it was my calling you know to be there for others because selfishly I learned a lot I yeah, mean yeah. that with every new person I meet I, I learned something new and I want I always wanted to be in the helping profession yeah, yeah. from a very very young age yeah, yeah. and then the client group kept, kept changing do I want to work with kids do I want to work with drug addicts do I want yeah, yeah, to work yeah. with capitalism no and finally, I got to this point where I was doing a counseling course and my tutors were sex therapists and they said, the way you talk about sex, I think we should become a sex therapist you know, because yeah. you speak quite freely about sex. And even sexuality, me as a person, um, it was quite a journey for me too. Yeah, yeah. When I mean, what I mean by sexuality is my relationship with sex. Yeah, yeah. So when I was younger, I wanted to be celibate and I wanted to join a kind of priesthood, not really priesthood, but very similar to it. And then I started dating and meeting different people. And I went through a period where I was dating multiple people, having a, a different kind of lifestyle, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's changing as well. Nowadays, I'm I'm older and I'm I still enjoy sex yeah, yeah. very much, but I, I'm choosing to focus on one person and on one relationship. Yeah. yeah. So even for me, and I've experienced long distance relationships. I, I I've experienced different kinds of relationships. Yeah. And life has taught me quite a lot about how people love. Um, what they feel love is because a lot of people confuse love with lust for example 
And I'm very lucky that every day I get people who come to me and they are very willing to open up and talk to me about their insecurities, about their issues, their problems, you know. And it's such a privileged position to be in. Yeah. Have these people just trust you just because you're in this room, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I ask myself, how come, you know, this person has never met me before. They come in, sit down and tell me because I was abused when I was six years old. I never told anyone I'm telling you. And he has, you know, he's just sat down in front of me. Yeah, yeah. It's magic and it's something that I never take lightly, you know. Yeah. So you you said that when you were 15, you wanted or you kind of, what made you think about, oh, I want to be celibate or you know, vow of celibacy, as they say. I think religion is very important to Religion, especially when I was younger, Catholicism, I think 98% of the population was Catholic that yeah. back then. And my parents are quite conservative, hardworking, middle-class couple yeah. uh, who brought us in this Catholic upbringing. So, and it really did intrigue me, you know, I used to attend these classes they would be every day with these celibate men and we call them al museo in, in, in Maltese, which means catechism yeah. and i always admire these young people who chose to spend sundays with us to take us out they more or less what you do you know yeah, yeah, yeah. what you were telling me about what you do yeah, yeah. is do sports to help young people, people yeah. and these men chose to focus their energy all on us as young people yeah. and I, I'm that kind of person you know if I like and admire someone I start thinking what can I do to yeah, yeah, become yeah, yeah. you know yeah, yeah. as possible so I kept growing up in this organization this community and I said well this is something I want to do I never really was interested in girls back then so I said, I like this and I want to help others. And I, I think it was this need in me to try and be there for others, trying to understand yeah, in yeah. what way I can be there for others. Yeah, yeah. because like you said at the beginning, you, you, from, you could say probably from school or, you know, that age where you always wanted to help others and people, because you smile them because you, you said that people... And it's almost like you was you 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 were one even probably now. You said you, even now you still wonder. So even probably back then you were as a young person you were wondering how comes these people how, you know how comes these people these my friends and people who are not my friends coming up to me asking me about advice relationship advice um, you know girlfriend what is it about me that that is that is fueling that um, what what do you think it was about you that was you yes you was you, you know what do you think it was about you at 15 that made people was it was it your personality was it, it, it what was it about you that that drew people to you the people so some people say it's it's that i listen that i'm genuinely interested and it is because i love observing people i, I i'm very much interested in getting to know people yeah yeah and there's story because I, I'm very aware that um, we're going to die. I think from a very young age, because of people close to me who passed away or got cancer. I remember one of my best friends, I was about 13 years old, got cancer. 
So there was always that which was very present, but not in a scary way. Yeah, yeah. I would say the opposite that I want to celebrate today because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. But it's not the cliche kind of thing. It was genuinely, and I still believe it. You know, I'm very much thankful for every day that I that I live. And from that age, I was very much interested. And my goal in life was always to make the most out of my days on earth. Even from that age, and I remember looking at people and who do I want to be like? What what do I want to copy? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to observe people, and when people came to me, my friends, with these questions about their love life, their parents, I was always very interested, and I asked the right questions, not because I was trained or because I yeah, 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 smarter than they are, because yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. And I think they enjoyed the fact that there was this person sitting on this bench listening to them for half an hour without talking about himself. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I know that for the time, what they need is for them, you know, to be listened to. And I was asking questions literally because I was curious. Yeah. So at the same age, 16, 17, I used to go out clubbing with my friends. And my friends were into techno music, um, electronic music, so they used to be quite art parties. And I used to sit by the bar or stand by the bar and just observe people. And I remember my friends being in the dance from the dance floor and dancing and coming to me, Matt, are you, are you enjoying this? Are you, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. loving loving how he's trying to chat that woman up. I'm trying to understand if he loves him or their friends or a relationship. And I used to stay there and observe people. Yeah, yeah. So very sort of um, astute and kind of at a young age analytical and trying to find out about um, what makes a human, what makes us tick. Um, so you, after that, that um, th- when you first met um, a lady or, you know, a person, you know, a woman, and what changed the, the sellers? I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, you know, what happened, what actually, you can say what actually happened. I mean, we can have a laugh and everything, but in a sense, what you know how did you was it a case of i'm not going to be celibate or you know who how how Yeah, we was having a laugh. <laughs> we was having a laugh earlier about um, it's me trying to get my words out in a sense. But it, the, the funny thing is, that the reason I think the reason why I'm asking is because yes, you meet somebody, but the decision to not be um, the decision not to be celibate was almost taken out of your hands in a sense. In what way? Well. You met somebody, and you did you kind of choose not to be celibate? Obviously, because you'd you'd f- fallen for somebody, or you just what was it? And it was yeah. an experience. No, no, it, it was a very strong love connection, infatuation. Last, I don't know. What yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember falling head over heels for this yeah, woman, you know, that that girl, and I was still a boy, and. I, I I realize that it feels good to be seen as well. It feels good to have someone think of you and wait for you 
on a Saturday night, you know, yeah. and meet up and just spend time together, be it sexual or not. So it's not just intimate in the yeah, physical yeah. way. And then I, I still was going on this program to become this kind of celibate teacher person. But I was having this conflict, you know, what do I want to do? Yeah. Is this how I want to help people? Can I help people in my own family? And I remember having these kind of discussions even with the counselor at school, where I'm trying to understand, do I need to be, is that the only way that I can help people or can I help people even if I'm married or if I'm in a relationship? And then I think about a year later, I'm not sure how long after that, I had broken up with this girl, but I still made the decision that I want to, no, I want to be in a relationship, be able to be intimate with um, another person and build a family with another person. And I want kids as well. But that's one of the things as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 almost like you've um, yeah, when you've you've met somebody, and like I was saying, it's almost not taken out of your hands, but you. You decide. You've almost like had a, oh, you could call it a, a change of heart due to love, and it's almost like you were talking to talking to other people since 15, and it was almost like you almost needed that talking to in your own head yourself um, to kind of, is this what I want, and where, where where is this going? So from there, what's from you from there what? made you become a sex therapist and, and talk about sex and the relationship? Mm-hmm. And then I experienced a few relationships in my life and I've met very good women and I've met very caring women and I've let some people down, let some women down, some women let me down. So I was always curious, what's happening? You know, how come um, I meet this woman and she's such a lovely woman, but I treat her this way. Or then when I change and treat someone well, they treat me this way. Yeah. So there was always all these questions, you know. And I hear my, my friends talk about their relationships. And I see my parents' relationships and my uncle's relationships and different people in my life. Yeah. And I'm always there, you know, yeah, taking yeah. notes, mental notes. Yeah, yeah. And to be very honest, I wanted to become a child psychologist. So then I said I'd become a teacher because I want to, you know, be there for kids as well and spend time seeing people grow and mentoring people. And I said, okay, maybe teaching and psychology. So child psychology, you know. But then I remember when I was at university doing psychology course, um, we went to visit a child children's mental hospital, psychiatric hospital. Yeah. And... I came out of that place feeling so sad and so angry at the same time. And I remember saying, I can't, I can't work with kids who are going to this. I'm suffering, you know, from such a young age. I I don't, I'm going to be able to contain it. But I still became a school counselor. So I did another course and I became a school counselor. So I was helping kids, but maybe with not such acute problems all the time. Yeah. And I remember I spent about three, four years being a school counselor and I used to have parent days, you know, parents days. And yeah, yeah. 
your parents come in and you have all these questions during the year when you're working with kids and you think to yourself, but why is this girl acting this way? What makes her act this way? You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you see the parents on parents there and you say, that's yes, why. Yes, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you say, now I understand, yeah, you know? I know, I know. Now I understand. Now I know where it's coming from. So I said to myself, maybe I, I should be a couple, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the meantime, I was doing this course, as I was saying earlier, and my my tutor suggested I do sex study because yeah. of the I discuss sex in our workshops. So I was thinking about that because it was a suggestion by people I admire. And at the same time, in living this at school, when I'm working with these kids and I know that they want to change, they're trying to change their life, yeah, yeah. but they're spending most of the time with their parents and in the same environment. And that was a bit frustrating. I'm a very goals-oriented person. Yeah, yeah. So I, I try to push as much as possible to, for me and people around me to achieve their goals. So I said, maybe I can work that six six and and I think this is the longest I've ever been in the same job career. Because in, throughout my life, I was a hairdresser, I was a waiter, I was a care worker with kids, yeah. I was a drugs counselor, I was a child's counselor, school counselor, I mean. I've done so many different things, but I would say that this is the longest I've been doing the same job. Yeah. And I don't have any plans of changing my career but any time soon. Yeah, I was about to say that. I was about to say that that I wasn't gonna ask you if you were gonna change because I don't think you would would ever because I think maybe that's your calling because maybe that's something that was in you. Well you, in fact not maybe it is because from listening to you what you what you spoke about at the beginning is that it's almost at fifteen that without talking about going in depth about talk, you know, what you might know about sex now or what you might know about relationships now because we grow and we learn about different things and we're always learning. Um, you, it was almost an innocent thing then. It's almost now it's a, it's a professional thing and you, you've always wanted... It's something that's always been in you and always you've always wanted to do. Um, so so did, have you... So in terms of training for this and, uh, you know, you've... you've You've kind of done your own sort of training because you've you've been doing it since 15. You've been talking to people since 15. You've been working with people. You've been working with children. You you've analysing people. You um you you you're questioning what things that people do. So it's almost like a natural thing. Have you had also had training with it as well? Yes, yes, yes. I I did my first degree in psychology. Yeah. In Malta. Yeah. And then I did the PGC to become a teacher because in Malta we have this subject. I, as far as I know, it's only available. Uh, it's only done in, in the UK and the moon. Yeah. It's called PSCD. Yeah. Uh, we have a have a class and we talk about different skills and different um, issues that kids might meet. You know, like sex, drugs, communication, money management, time management. Yeah. Which are life skills, you know. But it's 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 an actual subject. That yeah. The kids have a teacher and they. Attend classes twice a week, go to lessons a week, and I did that for some time. So I was teaching, so I, I was a psychology graduate and a teacher as well. And whilst I was doing my PGCE to get my teacher's qualification, I started a counselling 
postgraduate in counseling. Yeah. And that's where I met these tutors and they suggested I do a master's in sex therapy right. in Sheffield, UK. Yeah. So I trained in sex therapy in the sex clinic in, the, in Sheffield. Yeah. And what, yeah. what for, for listeners out there, what's training as uh, a sex therapist like? Is it, is it more, is it, psych, is it a lot of psychological base to do with relationships and not being in relationship? What, what does it entail? It is a mixture of sexual medicine, okay, so understanding one's body, how the male body works, how the female body works, um, how what, what triggers desire, okay, so what chemicals trigger desire, um, what lifestyle choices affect these chemical reactions, yeah. okay, so people who are obese, people who smoke, people who do drugs, yeah. eating disorders, and how all this affects one's um, physiology, one's body, and then also psychotherapy. So understanding one's attachment, how a person was raised by his parents, the bonds that they built with their parents, and how all this affects how we relate to our partners when we're older. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously about sexual abuse and how things in our life, like um, sexual abuse or, or rape, affect one's perception on sexuality yeah um I'm, uh, I'm i don't i can't remember how long ago it was i don't know it's a th- it seemed like a new thing um where they, they spoke about um people who were they call them sex addicts um was that something was that part of the course or was that something is that something new what what's that where's that come from we, we discuss sex addiction in depth and some people say it is a disorder, other people say it doesn't exist. I've worked with people who need sex. When I say need sex, I'm not talking about normal Joe, you know, and, and Jane who want to have sex once a week, twice a week, once a day. Yeah. I'm talking and, and they're okay if they don't get sex. I'm talking about people who end up cheating several times on their partner because of sex, people who have just finished having sex with their partner and still flirt or go to an escort, people who spend a lot of their money on porn and on escorts and sexual, you know, sex workers. So I would say that there is such a thing as sex addiction. I think we're going to be addicted to anything that's us pleasure you know there are people who are addicted to work there are people who are addicted to anything really you know i think addiction is not about the substance or the behavior that you're addicted to it is about the void that you feel inside that you're trying to fill all the time yeah so i when i work with someone who's a sex addict or an alcoholic or a drug addict the problem is not the cocaine, the problem is not the sex, the problem is what you're trying to run away from, from yeah. you know, what are what void are you trying to fill, you know, gestalt therapists call it the hole in the soul, yeah. when you fill this hole in the soul and you want to fill it up with something as quickly as possible yeah. and as intensely as possible, and sometimes the harmful behavior that we choose to um, go to 
so often alienates us from the actual pain deeper inside yeah. Yeah. I'd rather feel shit for a whole day after a, a, a night of doing cocaine than being alone with myself and look into myself and stay with the sadness or with the hurt of sense of abandonment or sense of not being loved yeah. you know? do you find that that's the same thing then for people who who let's just say somebody who wants um you know i'm kind of going in depth here but for some of the things some of the things can be seen as extreme and so when we when we call what we call extreme so like you say um sex addiction or you know someone who jumps from one person over and you know just had sex and then going back out would you say that's the same thing for someone who has who who has who wants multiple partners at the same time or i say multiple partners sex with more than one person at the same time is that does that come in the same sort of thing that you're saying is that there's a void it's a void and also it could be um staying away from the depth because when a person is having sex with the same person time and time again chances are that you're delving deeper in a connection with that person yeah depends what kind of sex depends on on drugs when you're doing sex when you're drunk when you're doing sex yeah. but when you're having multiple partners you're focusing on the act on the physical act mm. doesn't allow you to delve deeper it's like when I'm working with um, women who are in love with their husband they love their husband they know that their husband is a very good man but they cheat on him mm. and they cheat on multiple people and I question and I ask is this sabotaging intimacy because the longer you're with the same person when you're investing in that relationship with that person yeah. you're delving deeper you're investing more every man every colleague every flirt on Facebook you say no to you're investing more into your relationship yeah, yeah. because when someone breaks up usually what I hear is I said no to so many people because of them, you know? And now they're abandoning me, they're rejecting me. Yeah. Because when we say no to something, we're saying yes to something else and we're investing in that yes more and more. So having multiple partners could be one's way of not delving deeper into one relationship, into themselves, because intimacy is about looking into ourselves and, and being okay with ourselves being okay being vulnerable with another person being naked in front of the other person and risking being judged by the other person and not feeling accepted by the person yeah because yeah, one of the reasons why I've asked that is because um, you know things like porn and things like that where you know it's not some, some, I mean, some of them you know some things can be extreme where you might have a woman with, yeah, you know, the, the act of sexual act is with I don't know six men, and I'm, and so I've often wondered why a why a person, man or woman, would would do that, and would, is it is it something deeper that they haven't fixed or they've they've been hurt or it could be that you know some some of the things I thought you know could have been they could have been raped at a young age and this is their way of almost 
fixing it in a sense fixing um i have the power as a as a woman or man and i'm going to take this it's almost like a an oxymoron i've got this i can take this power back but in some ways it's 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 in a way when we're looking in when we're looking when, when it's coming from outside it's it's not almost it's almost like you it's almost like um the woman's not fixing it she's not fixing it and it's um it's this awful thing she's doing. What 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 would you say to that? You you you're reminding me. There is this um, series on Netflix at the moment. I don't know if you watched it. It's called Too Hot to Handle. Yeah. Where they get these, I think, fan people, very sexy, very sexual people, and they give they they let them stay in this massive villa with pool, private beach, and all. And they didn't know each other before. And after a day together, the presenter tells them, "You have a hundred thousand pounds, and you'll get them if you don't touch each other, you don't have sex with each other." And for every sexual act, kissing costs three thousand pounds. You know, having sex costs twenty thousand pounds. And they deduct money from that hundred thousand pounds. Yeah. And you can see how they struggle, okay, because they are facing vulnerability mm. because sex is a way of connecting. Sex could be the most intimate thing, the most vulnerable thing with the other person and giving them your all, or it could be a way of keeping them out. Mm. Okay, so I can give you very good sex. I can give you sex many times, but that is my way of keeping you out. But I can give you as much sex but invite you in and become more and more intimate as a couple. Yeah. Same thing with femininity and masculinity. Uh, you know, the, the female form is one of the most powerful weapons I know. Definitely. There were wars that started because of women. Because yeah. of a woman. Yeah. There were big fights because there were, you know, so many things that a woman can do just with her form, her body, you know. Yeah. Um, and a woman can use it empowered and to feel her power I remember I used to work in this prison in the UK for teenagers you know lads from the age of 14 till 18 and I remember observing teachers who were really pretty and sexy and one of them used to control her class because of that well, she knew that lads had a soft spot too for her, so she used to use that energy yeah, yeah. to guide them to learn. Yeah. You know? And to understand and love their, her subject and to do work even when in their cell, when, when they're in their cell to uh, impress her, you know? Yeah. Because us men are like that. Yeah, well. yeah. And I remember another woman who used to work there, who I would say was even sexier ended up in a very bad situation surrounded by men touching her in class and she had to quit her job and I'm not saying it's the woman's fault that's definitely not what I'm saying what I'm saying is understanding and owning that power Mm. and what to do with you know and sometimes yes a woman would see that she's attractive um, her family her parents used to tell her how pretty she is from that age and she takes on that identity you know 
that I am the prettiest, I am the sexiest, and they, some women build their identity on that mm-hmm. and on just that. So then, that's how they can attract man, yeah. and that's how they think they can keep man, and that is their worth. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I see many women at, at my clinic who come at the age of 40, 45, 50, who have a terrible identity crisis then. Because if I felt that I am worthy because of how sexy I am, how attractive I am, now that I'm in my 40s, 45, 50, and I look in the mirror and I obviously see a very attractive 40-year-old, but still a 40-year-old, not a 20-year-old, then how am I going to meet my husband? How am I going to attract men? How am I going to be valued in a, in a, in a room when I walk in? Yeah. If I'm used to being the prettiest woman and I walk in and people look at me and they engage with me and with my body. And then I've talked to very pretty women, very beautiful women who would say that, unfortunately, some men just see me for that. So they don't want to get to know more of me. So the beauty sometimes, and I've met with men as well, but more women who would say, I'm only judged on how I look. So their beauty makes them invisible. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the things you've come across, obviously you've come across a range of people and, and, um, you know, and what, what would you say are the main, some of the main things um, in terms of affecting relationships and, and, and do you think it's, do you think we're kind of, we, we've, as humans, we've lost that kind of loving feeling? I think that uh, because, of, because of this fear, this COVID situation, why are we seeing so many people suffer from mental health issues? Because this COVID situation made us, made most of us face our demons. Because this COVID situation took away our coping strategies, our defense mechanisms. You know? So if I feel good about myself because I um, spend so much money on myself every week, every month, I can't do that. If I feel so good about myself because I walk into a room and people look at me and give me compliments about how sexy I am, the COVID has to take away that from us. People who are workaholics and are working all the time, now they have to slow down. Mm-hmm. They had to slow down because there isn't enough work. Yeah. So this COVID situation made us, most of us, not all, face our demons. And it is obviously a very scary situation to be in yeah. because we're facing our demons without the coping strategies or defense mechanisms that we had before. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's the alienation, the protections that we had before. Yeah. You know, port as an island, so now all the ports are closed. That means that there are no drugs being, you know, smuggled in. Yeah. So even people who used to use drugs to fight this, you know, are running out of drugs now. So I think COVID in this way can be um, a way of rebirth for some of us. Yeah. yeah. You know, if we spend enough time with our with our demons, if we spend enough time naked with our demons and yeah. vulnerable, 
instead of drinking or gaming online, which some people are resorting to. Because the human brain is fascinating. It keeps trying to keep, um, to find quick fixes, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm staying alone at home. Um, instead of spending time with my demons and making peace with them and understanding them, I'm going to start drinking. Yeah. I have companies, we have companies in Malta who would deliver alcohol to your doors. Wow. And that is because they saw the need for it. Yeah. No company would invest in a delivery system. It's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. So people are yeah. getting alcohol delivered to their house. Yeah. Purely alcohol. So it's not food and alcohol. Purely alcohol. Purely alcohol, yeah. yeah. So, in, in terms of what you... I mean, you, you, you're doing this from Malta. Are you, are you reaching out? Is it... Are you being reached worldwide or... You know what what's happening with your business, and do you see um, your your business? Obviously, you're, it's always going to be something that you're going to be doing because um, because of the world, the way the world is, and we, we you know we all have our we all have our problems, we all have this um, and different issues. Um, in Malta, what do you see as some of the main issues to do with relationships and sexuality and things like that? Um, there are couples who, because in Malta, six months ago, we were in the exact opposite situation. We had the economy growing so fast that we couldn't keep up. When I say we couldn't keep up, um, a population of 440,000 had to open up to about 70,000 foreigners to come here and work was it's not that we didn't have any um, people who were on the dough, unemployed people, but we had a lot of companies who couldn't grow as much as they could because of lack of human resources. Yeah. So, when you think of a, com- of a country of 440,000 people, and in a, in a matter of three years, seeing 70,000 people yeah. joining us on yeah, this yeah, island, yeah. That's a lot, yeah. you know? And buildings were growing everywhere because uh, people could afford it. It was good business to rent out apartments to these foreigners. And that was really good for the economy. And people were trying to keep up with all this growth. Yeah. And now we're, we're at the exit opposite. So now we're seeing people who were used to a certain lifestyle, were getting used to a certain lifestyle, and now they are ending without a job. Yeah. Now they are seeing that um, they are stopping and they are spending um, less time outside. Yeah. But during this period, the um, the property, the, ex- the price of the property doubled if not tripled. When it yeah. comes to renting, it literally tripled. Yeah. When it comes to buying property, it doubled. So what does that mean for relationships? That people who are getting separated or divorced were forced to live together mm. until they sold their house and they could afford another place yeah. individually. So I had couples and I still have couples who told each other, this is it, we're not going to be together anymore. But they were still living and sleeping in the same house. Now, because of this situation, they are 
log in with that person. So before they used to go to their parents' house, to go out um, with their friends most nights, to spend as much time out as possible, yeah. doing hobbies, whatever. Now, all those stopped. They can't visit their friends, they can't visit their parents. So they're working from home. So imagine you've been married to the same person for 20 years. Last month you told them, this is it, I can't be with you anymore. Yeah. And now you're locked in yeah. the same apartment with them 24-7. Yeah. So that is one of the issues that I'm seeing. And it's not one or two couples. That's quite a lot of couples who are going through this situation. So that's one of them. Yeah. And then I also see um, people who are in the health profession, doctors, nurses, health um, workers, health carers, who chose to live away, live away from their family. So you have a woman who works as a nurse, who chose to rent an apartment, to live there with her friends, because they are nurses like her colleagues, and she didn't hug her children, her husband, for the past two months now. Yeah. And we always suggest, you know, try and FaceTime, try and spend time with them as much as possible, hear their voice, but it's not the same as hugging. Yeah, yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. So, so this kind of person is living in a more stressful situation because at work, obviously, if they work in a hospital, the stress is much higher than it used to be. Yeah. And the way they cope with it, being hugged by their partners, going home, you know, their peaceful house that was taken away from them as well and this all has an impact on the relationship what's very interesting another kind of couple i never foresaw or thought it would happen is couples who were dating where one of them is either a health worker or lives with elderly people elderly parents because the elderly parents were on the list of vulnerable people, so they can't leave the house. Yeah. And ideally, we were told not to contact them, as in physically make contact with them, you know. Um, they chose to move in together, which I find very interesting. So you have someone who's been dating for two months, yeah, yeah. who's been hanging out for two months, and all of a sudden, we're moving in. Yeah. So there was no discussion of who's paying what, who, who's washing what, yeah. who's taking out the morning. All of a sudden, we're moving in and and working from the same room. Because they'd be working from the you know, kitchen table. Yeah. So that that is another fascinating change yeah. in relationships. Yeah. And I'm sure it's going to affect the relationship. Could be positively, because it is like a, you know, Animal period. There isn't enough resentment to hate the person you live with, and there's still the attraction that you want to have sex with them every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good thing, you know. But I think it's also going to um, make people realize that listen, I was lusting over this person for two months, but living with him for another two made me realize that he is not the man I want to be with. So, do you are you finding before this? Before this, are you finding that, um, you know, in Malta or worldwide that um, relationships and marriages are in the decline? Um, and, you know, over the last, I mean, I've noticed over the last how many years that things, you had obviously more dating websites, um, you know, that's kind of 
you, you don't really hear much about it. But what I'm starting to find now is that people, there's almost when people I speak to, it's almost like there's a coming together now of, of realizing, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I, it's as humans, we're not meant to be this singular person. We are singular because we come out, but we need people, we need each other, we need love, and we need, um, like you say, a hug. Um, what? How are you finding things? I, I would say that nowadays marriage has been filtered. I think it's not taken for granted that you need to marry someone. I yeah. think that the people who actually choose to marry their partner, it's because they want to marry their partner. Yeah. Because they thought it through, most of them. And those who stay together, it's because they want to stay together. Yeah. They're not there because they're threatened or they're obliged, most of them. Yeah. So, but I also remember this um, speech that um, I watched on YouTube by this person um, at the Harvard graduation ceremony when he mentioned Netflix and he said that we are the Netflix generation. So how does Netflix work? I, I was working all day, come home, put on my Netflix. There's a wide variety of movies that I can watch. And I start reading the trailer reading the synopsis about the movie yeah. and every time I'm going to commit for this an hour and a half I say but maybe I should invest this hour and a half elsewhere with another movie because the other movie might be better you know yeah. <laughs> what are the reviews saying about this movie and then and we spend a very long time looking at all these different synopsis until we're tired and don't <laughs> yeah and whilst I remember when I was much younger, it's, you know, one TV channel, that's what's on at nine o'clock, that's what we're watching, you know, and it could be the most boring movie ever, I'm going to enjoy it, because that's what's available. And there isn't much to compare it to. And it struck me, you know, this idea of us being the Netflix generation. And this person was talking about not just relationships, but about life in general, but of course, because of my work. I tend to see it from the relationship perspective. And when, when I read about it, it makes so much sense because there's literature that shows us that even when you're on Tinder or Grindr, and you see this person looking at you, you feel that he wants you or she wants you. So you are choosing to be with them or not, which means that in your head, you're getting this impression that there's so much available people out there. Yeah. How is that going to change our relationships? That can change our relationships because if I believe that there's only one person for me, this soulmate, this twin flame, okay, and this one person in the whole wide world, and I have access to the whole wide world because with Tinder, with Facebook, with social platforms, I can visit any country I want. Am I sure I'm with the right person? If we don't agree on who takes the rubbish out, if we don't agree on what type of movie we watch, if we are not sure if we want two kids or one kid, should I keep looking? Especially because of this FOMO, fear of missing out. So I'm with this person. We can't agree on some things. It's not because I want it easy, so I'd rather leave and start another relationship. But my anxiety would be is this the soulmate? Is this the one for me? Or should I should I meet this person who gives me the best sex of my life, 
is the most intelligent person, cooks the best food. We agree on every kind of movie and music um, that we listen to. And because, to top all this up, because we are a generation that meets more people on their life. Okay, the idea of monogamy today is not one person for life. The idea of monogamy today is one person at a time. So throughout our lifetime, it is researched that we would have had more partners than our previous generation. And that means that when I'm with my partner, with my current partner, I have more people to compare. And unfortunately, when we're comparing our current partner to our previous partners, what happens? Most of us would compare the sex with her to the best sex of our lives. The conversations with her to another person who gave us the most intelligent conversations. How wild they are to the most wild person we had. So we're comparing one person to different aspects of different people. Yeah. So our current partner will never win. Because I, it's like comparing, you know? It is, it's like having this idea that I can have the best sex like I had with X, the, the best intelligent conversation I had with another X. It's not true. All these things don't exist in the same person. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for you then, you've, um, what would you, you know, what was, what would your, not your stance, but what would you advocate? I mean, you, you know, we, like you say, we're seeing, would you, because for, for years gone by, there's always this thing of um, people staying together and um, and relationship and love uh, and all these things. Are you seeing that there's maybe less love, or is is love making a comeback? Is um, what's what's you know what's actually happening for you in a sense? Not for you, but what you're seeing around the world. I think that we're being brought up to think as individuals. Yeah. I think that um, the authorities, the previous generations, us as a society, are expecting people who are trained to be individuals, to be productive individuals who focus on their career, to be in love with the same person, to uh, sacrifice parts of themselves for the bigger good of the couple. And that is very conflicting. And I see a lot of people conflicted because of this. So I love her. I want to be with her. But this is making me sad. And whenever I talk to my friends and my family and my parents, what they say is, if you're not happy, leave. Because I remember in Malta when I was younger, it was shameful to leave a relationship. I remember an a, a time when I was very young, and I remember if someone got separated in the village, everyone will know, and everyone will be talking about it, but it's shameful, you know? Don't leave your husband, don't leave your partner, because you'll bring shame on our family, which is wrong. It is very wrong. But I think that nowadays we went the other side where it's shameful to stay. Mm. Okay, so any listeners who are listening to us, if your friend tells you my wife cheated on me, 
what's your first reaction? Because most of the time, the advice that we give is, it's stupid to stay. I would leave. And how would that person feel if they had to come to us and say, you know what, I chose to stay? Would we say, yes, I'll support you? Or would we say, you're stupid, man? Yeah. I would leave. Now, I'm not saying you should accept cheating, you should not accept cheating. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is that whatever happens in a relationship is being judged from the outside as if it's not making you happy today, leave. Yeah. And if you stay, it's because you're stupid. Yeah. So we are shaming people who actually stay. Yeah, definitely. So for you, on, on a a daily basis what 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 are the you know obviously there's a range of people coming in do you see a lot of a lot more sort of what they call millennials coming in or is it a range of people i would say it's a, it's, it's a nice picture i would say i i see um, pensioners i see people in their 20s as well people i i, I would say it's, it's a good mixture and um, even when it comes to gender, yeah. I'm very privileged that I see quite a lot of males come to the clinic as well. Yeah. No? Um, it is about 40 because obviously we look at this data to learn from what we're doing and see better. Yeah. And the last time we checked, it was 48% of our clients who are men. Yeah. It's quite a big thing because yeah. when you compare it to other um, organizations and clinics, it's usually about 30% yeah, yeah. of their clients. And I think what, what we did differently is that we're on the media and we're talking about masculinity as well. Yeah. No? I don't talk about male ego as being something which is wrong. I think I talk about male ego as it being something that one should respect. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that um, we should respect femininity. If I know that my partner or my friend, a male, uh, has a big ego and you know he, he won't enjoy me picking on him in front of his friends, let me not do it. In the same way that I wouldn't dare um, compare or tease my female partner about her looks or about her femininity. And I think that is, a, in my opinion, I don't know what you think about it, but in my opinion, I think um, it's important to respect each other's difference. You know? Yeah, and you're right because, I mean, quite often we, you know, we've, you know, when I when I have on the, you know, when I've had people on the show and come and talk and uh, you know, and I, you know, I say the same thing about ego. There's there's obviously two sides, um, the ego of. The, the person who becomes a narcissist or the the the, the ego of um, that that the, the other side where in a sense we, we, we as men we need we need to keep that masculinity there's something about us that needs to keep us um, because I always often ask about men speaking out and and I will say well we don't we need to speak out when we need to speak out if something's wrong um, but doesn't mean that we should. It should that masculine side of us should be taken away, so we don't become this thing where 
you know, quite often, you know, yeah, we see that the dynamics between men and women is men um, don't don't speak as much, or when they do, you know, it takes longer to come out or longer to speak up. Whereas women will be talking with their friends um, about everything. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Anything. Okay, I think I think there are two ways of making someone talk. You can beat it out of him, or or make him go vulnerable and attack him, or seduce him out of him. And I think that sometimes what we do with men is we put them in a vulnerable position without them wanting to. Yes. And then we are very angry at them because they're climbing up. What do you do with your lads? You offer football. You offer sports. Why? Because that's where they feel that they are, you know, yeah. being themselves. Yeah. And then they can do. Yeah. But sometimes what we do even in therapy. We force men to come in a room, sit down and talk about their feelings for 50 minutes or an hour. And I don't think that most men are okay doing that, no. to start with especially. No. But we need to, even, even you know, in therapy, we need to be a bit more creative. I know that in Ireland, there's this cool concept, which I'm trying to see how I can adapt it in, in Malta as well, where men meet in shadows. And they are working, doing manual work, and they start talking. And they are facilitated by psychologists, these sheds, you know? Yeah. But it is proven, you know, you can see it, that when men are being manual, they are more easy to open up because the focus is not on sitting and talking, but we're doing something else and still opening up. And if that works, why try and change it? Yeah. I'm not saying that it's not good that people and talk and I'm saying the exact opposite and saying that men need to talk but we need to find the right atmosphere the right time to help them yeah and you're right because you find that with children because with with boys we know that we know that women or females girls tend to have more in the vocabulary by the time they're seven I think they've got something like three times the amount of words in their vocabulary than boys so obviously it's it's not just um, that boys don't want to talk. It's 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 science, it's physiology, it, it's genetics. And when when we when you say when we look at that, sometimes when a boy is doing something as a child, they're easier to talk to. If they're playing with bricks, it's easier to talk to them rather than sitting them down where they where they become a bit more embarrassed and they're looking around, <laughs> looking around the room. For fight to try to find something to to um and if they see something the attention is drawn away from you and they'll run across the room and, and pick it up and or go in the cupboard and pick something up. Oh can I look at this? But quite often when you when you get them with these things, whether it's bricks or anything that they're looking at, toy, you can actually talk to them. Um and that that comes from obviously, you know, being you can see that from child psychology. Um, I like you saying there, as, as man, it doesn't change. No, we could easily say the same thing about um, education. E- education is where, unfortunately, most kids have to sit down for a whole day and listen, you know, and focus and not move around. And then I ask, is that? The right atmosphere for boys to learn. Yeah. And is it a coincidence that 
you have more boys who get diagnosed with ADHD and with learning difficulties and with behavioral problems. Yeah. Or is it because we're not creating the right atmosphere? Yeah. Give them a football match. Give them a training program. Are they are they acting in the same way, or are they focused? Give them a competition against another team. Boys, will they act in the same way, or will they pull their socks up? Not to everyone. I'm talking generally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Or will they focus more? Because yeah. you gave them and they focus Yeah. Yeah. And you, and 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 like you say, you're right. And that that could be another and that could be another podcast. Actually, that could be another episode. We'll talk about that because um, that's that's very interesting. And you know, now I've, you know, been looking at it and thought about it. Um, it's very true. Um, so yeah. So in terms of your what you do and and your practice. What's your practice like on a day-to-day basis? What, you know, obviously it's going to change from day to day. I mean, do you have, your people come online, your people come into the, do you, and, and I was going to ask you about the men, the ratio of men, and you spoke about that. Do you find that men, there's a difference between what the men talk about or they, there's a difference in problems or issues that the men talk about than the women? Uh, I would say the way they present the problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, a woman would be worried that because they're not being intimate, they're not feeling close to each other. Yeah. A man would come and say, my penis is not erecting, help me get it up. Yeah. No? Yeah. But then when you start talking about it and talking about the relationship, you realize that you don't need men. You need to go home and talk to your wife, talk to your partner. Yeah. And they would be open to it. So I, in my practice, because of cases, here we're a team. It's a team. It's a team of um, psychologists, counselors, psychotherapists from different backgrounds as well. Yeah. And they see different kinds of people. So when I talk like this, I talk about my own um, client, which is mostly relationships and sexuality. Um, but I would say that it's about the same issues, you know. It's like when I was starting my clinic 10 years ago, I had the impression that men cheat and I'd be seeing a lot of men who come to me because of cheating yeah. or who were caught by their partner. I would dare say I see more women who are coming to me because they have lovers and they need help um, or a space to talk about it and to decide what they want to do because they're tired of living a double life. It could also be because men don't talk enough about it. For men, maybe it's easier and it's cleaner. You know, I love my wife, I have sex with my mistress. Could be. I've heard that. I'm not so sure because I've worked with men who felt that they're in love with two women and they didn't want to hurt any one of them. Yeah. I would say that those are um, most of the kind of clients that I see. And I wouldn't say that there's any difference between them. No. Um, my day is usually, um, I like to structure my week in a way that if I'm off, I'm off, but if I'm working, I, I work a whole day. Yeah. So there are days when I do my clinic, so three times, four times, a, it's usually three times a week, I do my clinic, and the other day, usually it's a Wednesday, I either take it off or else I have a working session with my team. Yeah. with my PA, with my partners, and we 
talk about the business side of it. Yeah. But I like to keep them separate on different days, so the frame of mind is different. Yeah, yeah. If I'm a therapist, I'm a therapist. But if I'm thinking business, I'm a business. So like today, um, it was a day where we spoke about business meetings and projects, how to help our team such a crisis, you know, in such a situation. Um, and then I, I take a couple of days off. Sometimes it's three days, sometimes it's two days during the week, including the weekend, where I spend some time alone with my dog. I have a dog. Yeah. So most in my life and my partner are at work. So it's time for myself and my dog. Nature, swimming or walking. Yeah. That's very important. As I say, you know, before we kind of go, and I'd like to, you know, definitely want to bring you back on for a part two of this is, do you find, are you finding, when I talk about millennials, <laughs> millennials, this, um, <laughs> do you, are you finding that more and more teenagers are big, uh, or is it, or is it, or is that always happened, more sexually active or having uh, problems with various things to do with sex and relationship? That is an interesting one, because I get the impression that more people are sexual, that people are more sexual and more people are sexual. But then I did research where I see that millennials are having less sex than previous generation. And I understand the latter as well, because I've worked with men and women, but even men who are very attractive, very sought after by the opposite sex. And they feel that sex offers so much pressure and dating is so much pressure that they'd rather not date at all. And it is mostly related to performance anxiety. Right. So I talk to, to teenagers and to young adults who are shying away from dating because Porn has given them these expectations. If not them, they're fear. Okay, so they feel that if they're not going to perform, they're going to be judged. So they'd rather not be judged. Mm. And, and I see that. I see that. I also see and meet young people who are more open than our generation. So they're more open to talk about condoms and contraception. They're more open to talk about what they enjoy and not enjoy. Yeah. But then, because of the anxiety, and anxiety is the condition uh, of this generation, of the millennial generation, um, they use sex to run away from their anxiety. So you see, you know, different extremes. People who, because of performance anxiety, are choosing to shy away from being in starting relationships and things. But then I see another um, extreme, in my opinion, who are dating multiple people, trying to be sexual as much as possible. In my opinion, to run away from, to explore and understand themselves as well, obviously. Yeah. One way of understanding and exploring who we are sexually is by meeting different partners, but also because they are trying to run away from the whole in this whole world. yeah yeah I, i'm sure you can hear the the, the call for prayer there but um <laughs> i was still carried on um 
Yeah, so in a sense then really, you know, like you're saying, the, the younger people are becoming it's almost like more open and more open to talk about it, more open to to maybe even explore or whatever. Um, so, and for you, you'll you, obviously be getting a lot more, like you say, you've got a, a ra- age range now, um, more younger people coming to you and you've got, like you say, pensioners. Um, <laughs> pensioners. So that's, that's you know, that's, that's a, in fact, that's a good place to wrap it up in, in a sense. What would you say to people um, in terms of um, relationships and, and, you know, even in this time of, of... Because I think after this, I think after this, there's going to be a baby boom. That's my belief. There's no... <laughs> there's no gonna... And that's what the gynecologist who works with us says. Because there's a lot of people who are calling her and going for pregnancy tests. Yeah, there's going to be a baby so, boom. I, I always we'll say, some... wherever there's death... <laughs> there's always life and I think it's going to be more there's going to be a lot more life after, I think it's going to be maybe triple or whatever but there's going to be more, a lot more life after this because obviously you know if you get pregnant it could be twins or triplets so I think there's going to be you know definitely a baby boom what would you say to people about relationships um, or you know your thoughts on what you see a relationship and mental health and and how we can combat it in in this time of the virus and afterwards i think as a species we are still here because we adapted yeah i think that it is survival of people who adapt of the creatures of the species of adapt it's not survival of the fittest if it was survival of the strongest the dinosaurs would still be alive yeah so be it relationships be it individually because of our mental health be it companies as well and businesses this is the time you look into yourself you see what coping strategies helped you in the past if those are not available anymore you need to develop new coping skills new coping strategies and you need to adapt and you adapt by being creative as well so be it a business be it individually be it in a relationship if you can't see your partner you can and try and FaceTime them. If you can't take them out on a date, then get food delivered to them and have a Skype date with them. So try and, as much as possible, adapt to the current situation because adapting is going to be a way of life for the next year at least. Because it's not going to be pause and play. It's not going to be the Minister of Health coming on TV saying, it's okay, you can go out again. When we go out again, it's going to be a very different society. Okay? Are we going to touch each other? Are we going to trust each other immediately? Or are we going to stay a bit distant to start with? Yeah. How, how are we going to react to money if we are seeing that our income was threatened? Are we going to spend as much as we used to? Or are we going to be more mindful of how much we spend? What about people who lost their loved ones or people around them and couldn't bury them, couldn't um, go to their funeral because of the coronavirus? So it is going to be a different situation, a different society. And the more we learn to adapt now by developing our resilience and looking at our history as a society and as individuals, 
and understanding that we've been through this before. Not the exact same situation, but we've been through losses before. We've been in situations where we couldn't use the same coping strategies that we were used to. And what did we do back then? What helped us back then? Remind ourselves these things, I think, and adapt. It's not a choice. To adapt is not a choice. And the more you're going to cling on to the, thing, the way things were before, the more you're risking getting PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And a couple of things you said, you know, I remember you saying it, you know, it seems like a while now, but um, you, you said the thing that I always say, it's not physical distance, it's social It's It's, it's not social distancing it's physical it's physical distancing and that's what it should be you know these these words words are very powerful and it shouldn't be this thing about um social distancing because social means you know coming together um it should be physical distancing because you can still have a social interaction with someone even um i mean humanity uh, went through the plague you know humanity went through world war one world war two we're going through something similar to the plague. Yeah. But we're luckier, we're so much more privileged because we have the internet. Yeah. So I am at home, but I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. having a lovely conversation with you at the other end of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if I had to see you physically, it's like I've known you, no? Because yeah, I yeah. spend time with you and yeah, I, yeah. I have a facial expression that we talk. Definitely. So yes, it, it is. It is about us being creative and make, making it work. Yeah, and um, like I say, where where can you, you know, I'd like to, yeah, again, I'd like to get you back on the get get you back on to talk about other things because there's a, definitely a few things there we can we didn't touch on. We talked about your life and some of the things, but uh, there's some things that we definitely could be going in depth here, and because obviously there's going to be people out there going through certain things in their in their lives, um, both. Um, mentally sexually as well um and you know things like you talked about about um erectile dysfunction or anything like that we could have numerous conversations about so many different things where can you be found i have a facebook page counselor matthew bartolo or another facebook page willingness team okay either one or the other okay and you can be found on those two platforms so thank you all the way from malta um, we say all the way because it's like it's like you're in, it's like we're in the room together. Um, <laughs> um, so thank you, and you know what you're doing um, there is you know you're, you're actually the first person to you're actually the first person to come you know to come on the show to talk you know, from Malta and the first person to be talking about um, you know relationships and sex therapy and things like that. So thank you for coming on. It's been brilliant. Um, and my pleasure. I, I loved it. And that's it. So whenever you want, we can have another one of these because yeah. I loved it. Definitely, definitely. And also, when you spoke last, the, just last, the kind of last bit of this is when you just spoke about people losing loved ones. I lost someone a couple of days ago, and he was my, you know, I've never, I've never had a, you know, a male role, role model. And you know, I wouldn't say he was a male role model, but he was. He was my, he's my godparent. He's got, you know, he's like my grandfather, my grandfather. And I lost him to cancer, and um, a couple of days ago. And it's like I'm here, but I can't get to him in, I can't get to his funeral, in the, 
in the UK, I mean, I know they said this thing in the UK that, oh, you know, people bur- getting buried um, on their own, which is, you know, some of it is a total lie because at the f- they've actually said at the funeral that you can invite people, you can have people, you just got to sit maybe two metres apart or three metres apart. So, but for me, um, that was somebody I grew up with. And then to hear that, you know, he, he's passed away after he was okay last week, it's kind of hit me. It's hit me and it's made me feel, um, you know, you know, you know, kind of melancholy and, and a bit sad and thing. But then I've, uh, you know, I celebrated life because I knew that what he did for me um, in in a lot of ways growing up, um, and it's just that, that main thing of not being able to get to him in his last. And it's about, like you say, it's about kind of showing that kind of resilience and, and toughness to kind of get through this time um, right and now. And also, um, the funeral, as you mentioned, is important because it's a ritual. Yeah. And it is a time where we come together to say bye to our loved one. Um, but the good thing about rituals is that we can create new ones. Yeah. So, although you couldn't be there for the funeral, you can still make your own ritual yeah. and say goodbye in your own way. Yeah. No? And it could be more personal or it could be with other people. But yeah. you can, you know, create your own ritual. Yeah. 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 Thanks for that. And like I say, thank you for coming on. And um, you know, I hope you I hope you and your family and, and your dog. <laughs> it's part of the family. <laughs> your fr- you know, your your friends and everyone's safe in Malta. Um you know, bless, bless, you know, bless to everybody there in Malta. Um, and that was Men Are Nuts. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.